gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The New 52 Adventures of Superman, Superman Forever Radio, I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Kara's World Podcast. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Happy New Year, and welcome to episode 65 of Superman in the Bronze Age. This is the first episode of 2013, which just so happens to be Superman's 75th birthday. And in honor of this special event, we're changing things up in the format just a little bit. Instead of doing our theme months, we're going to use Superman's 75th as a theme year. So all this year, I'm going to be covering the biggest events of the Bronze Age in chronological order mostly. Um, We'll get to all of the Treasury Edition stories featuring Superman taking on Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman and Muhammad Ali, plus some of the big events in the regular books like the enlarging of of Kandor and the return of Jonathan Kent. Plus, in his Superboy in the Bronze Age segments, J. David Weider is going to be covering the adventures of Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. So 2013 promises to be an exciting year for this show. And to kick things off, we're going to start with the introduction of Superman's first legacy villain. But first, if you're looking for a place to buy comics online, might I suggest Discount Comic Book Services. DCBS is an online comics retailer that offers comic fans the comics they need at the prices they want, with monthly specials that range from 45 to 75% off the retail price, and over 13,000 individual collected editions and graphic novels in stock. DCBS is the one-stop shop that every comic book that every comic book fan longs for. I always screw up at that point. You can find them on the web at www.dcbservice.com. And please also make sure to check out their sister stores, In Stock Trades, and My Digital Comics. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages.
In the decade of the 1930s, even the great city of Cleveland, Ohio, was not spared of the ravages of the Great Depression. In a time of fear and confusion, a character emerged that would entertain and inspire millions of children and adults alike. He began not as flesh and blood, but as a simple line drawing. His comic book adventures thrilled millions around the world. The magic of radio gave to his name a breathless signature and sound. Then with television came a whole new generation to idolize his exploits. In the 70s, the world believed a man could fly. In the 80s, he was reborn in the comics, and the 90s saw his death, rebirth, and marriage. In the 21st century, he returned to the big screen and saw his origin changed and retold on several occasions. Through the decades, he has gone by many names. The Man of Tomorrow, the last son of Krypton, the Man of Steel. His strength is incredible. His name is legendary. His battle is never ending. Faster than a speedy bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. My name is Michael Bailey, and I host an internet radio show called Views from the Long Box. Superman is my favorite character of all time, and in 2013, he is turning 75. Because of this, a large portion of the episodes this year will be about the Man of Steel in a series I'm calling Superman, Superman at 75, 75, the celebration of a legend. I'm going to mark Superman's birthday in fine style by examining all aspects of the character's history, from the comics, to the movies, to the television series, and beyond, both alone and with the best and brightest of the podcasting world. It may not be every episode, but the bulk of views in 2013 will be all about the Man of Steel. He is the first and greatest superhero of them all, and he deserves no less. Superman at 75. The Celebration of a Legend. A series within a series, and the biggest birthday card a fan can give his favorite hero, only at Views from the Long Box. Views from the Long Box is a Fortress of Bailey-Tude production. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and for this series, over at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel. And more. SupermanHomePage.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age.
Okay, Action Comics number 432. This comic had a cover date of February 1974 and a release date of November 29th, 1973. And it features a beautiful cover by Nick Carty and a cover price of just 20 cents. And the title of this story is called Target of the Toymen. Written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Another action-packed saga of Superman begins at Metropolis Airport, where Clark Kent is filming a TV commercial for Transgobal Airlines. Don't worry, his fees are going to charity. After completing his final take, Clark chats it up with the director, when suddenly the large 707 he was standing in front of suddenly shrinks down to a size of a toy. I said suddenly twice. Oh well. Just then, a man in a funny costume flies in in an obviously possible to create with the early 70s technology jet rocket and uses a fishing pole to collect the plane. When the director runs off to get help, he notices that Clark is gone. As it turns out, our mild-mannered newsman is hanging out on the landing gear of a private plane that is currently taking off and is taking the opportunity to change to Superman. After all, who looks at a plane when it's taken off, right? Right? Right. By the time the Man of Steel has flown back to the airport, the costume man has written out a message in chocolate syrup on the taxiway. And that message is, Toy Man is back in town. Superman chases after this new Toy Man while reminiscing about the original Toy Man. Fortunately for the villain, he's got a special rearview mirror that allows him to see behind him, which is something that no one has ever had, ever. And upon seeing Superman chasing him, he starts chewing chewing some special bubblegum. Soon he's blowing bubble animals. Okay, that's not what I meant, but he's blowing bubbles in the shape of animals. Anyway, which Superman ignores until a lion bubble comes into contact with a church steeple, causing it to explode. At super speed, Superman collects all of the other bubbles and takes them out into space, using them to destroy some of the dead satellites that NASA has been asking him to knock out. By this point, Toy Man has made his escape, leaving Superman to wait for him to make another move. And make another move he does, as over the next few days, the Toy Man shrinks and steals both a Polaris submarine and a solar locomotive, both of which also contained people and is ransoming them off for $100 million. One person upset about this is Winslow P. Schott, formerly the original Toy Man, who is not at all happy about this new upstart defiling the Toy Man name. Even though he has gone straight and is now just a simple toy maker, the only way to stop this young whippersnapper is for the original Toy Man to return to Metropolis. The next day, the new Toy Man prepares to steal the super sleek X555 rocket car. There's a lot of rockets. Anyway, after it has just set a land speed record. But out of the vehicle pops the original Toy Man. While the old man hurls threats at what Will Smith would refer to as the new hotness, Toy Man blasts the old one with some kind of blaster in the nose cone of his rocket. But it was just a Toy Man dummy. Next, the real old Toy Man pops out of the X-55. There's three fives. And pulls a green arrow by shooting a toilet plunger arrow at the new Toy Man's face, severely limiting the new Toy Man's air supply. And also, he might be breathing in poo. Then he gives the new guy a choice. Team up with him, or die. 
guess which one he chooses. Go ahead. I'll give you a minute. chooses to team up. I don't I know, I know, I know. I didn't see that coming either. Well, actually I did, because I've read this before, but... Anyway, the Toyman head out. The new Toyman in his jet rocket, and the old Toyman on a rocket-powered pogo stick. Because that makes sense. Anyway, the, the, the two of them head out to a nearby launching base, where a GBS satellite rocket is just launching. So the new Toyman uses his reducer rifle to shrink the rocket, and the old Toyman catches it in a net. Which works, because apparently the reducing rifle also turns off the boosters and all that stuff. Soon, in a dense forest, the new toy man reveals that he's hidden all of the stolen vehicles in a pink Hanxius, which is a tree that never grows more than five feet tall. While the new toy man decides to end the partnership by suffocating the old toy man with his poisonous cotton candy, can't make this stuff up, a tiny little Superman flies out of the tiny little GBS satellite rocket and uses the toy man's gun to enlarge himself, then introduces the new toy man to a game he calls Dribble the Toy Man. Once the villain passes out, he uses his heat vision to vaporize the cotton candy, saving the old toy man. As it turns out, Winslow which is actually probably how I should have been referring to him this whole time, but oh well, went to Superman first, which is also something you don't normally see in one of these stories, and the two came up with a plan to get the new toy man to reveal where the stolen vehicles were and to stop him. And with that, Superman reassures the tiny victims that they will soon be re-enlarged, and then, thanks to Winslow, or, and then, thanks Winslow for being on the side of the law at long last. Okay, what a story, what a story, what a story. Uh, page three, to start my notes. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Clark decides that he's going to hide at the, on, by hanging onto the bottom of an airplane as it's taking off. Um, Clark, people generally look at planes when they take off. Just saying. Also... That plane should not have been given the go-ahead to take off with an unidentified flying object in the area. Just saying. Page 5. Toy Man's uber-special rearview mirror is never seen again after panel 2 of page 5. So I guess it wasn't that special. Page 10. Not only is the toilet plunger cutting off Toy Man's air, but... Oh, that is so gross. Uh, it's also a Mario tactic from, like, the old cartoon Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Uh, especially... Uh, I hope it wasn't a used plunger, is all I'm going to say. Ugh. Anyway, page 11. So, first of all, the rocket-powered pogo stick. I mean, really? 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 Um, also... That rocket launch should have been scrubbed when the toy man entered the airspace, because they're very careful about rocket launches in the real world. But then again, this is the, also the same 
Earth, where Clark was apparently standing almost directly under the rocket pad uh, way back in Superman 233 when that rocket took off, so who knows. Page 12. <clears throat> I actually like that the reducer rifle becomes an enlarging rifle with just the flip of a switch. It's one of those things that they don't do anymore, and you'd actually have to go in and rewire stuff and try to figure it out. But back then, things were simpler. At page 13, I'm pretty sure that Toy Man passed out here due to pain from all the broken bones he's receiving from being bounced. Because I'm not sure people bounce that way. Also, yes, I know Winslow is a good guy at the end of the story, and that he was a bad guy last episode, which is a story from ten years later. Wibbly-wobbly timey-wimey. But, there is a whole story that explains this, which I will be getting to, and I promise that. Probably not during this year-long thing, but I have a plan for that story and some others, so stay tuned. Overall, though, um... Well, first of all, this version of Toy Man is actually going to have a little bit of a legacy. Uh, first of all, after this, he, in, well, in a couple years anyway, he joins the Legion of Doom and spends several episodes taking on the Justice League in The Challenge of the Super Friends. Plus, just a few years ago, he was also the basis of the Toy Man used in Alex Ross's Justice Maxi series. Granted, he looked like a wooden puppet in that, but he did have the same weird costume. And despite the sarcastic comments in my synopsis, this is a fun little story. I mean, sure, there's a lot of wonky things in there that makes you wonder what Kerry Bates was smoking when he wrote this, but if you aren't trying to dissect it for a podcast and just kind of switch your brain off a little bit, it's a fun little story. Plus, the Swanderson art, uh, it's just top-notch here. Really nice. All right, and uh, believe it or not, that's it for the Superman story. Uh, so after a couple of promos, we're going to look at the ads. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Hey, kids, comics! Hey, Michael. Yeah? We need to do a new promo. A new one? A new one. Why? Because we've moved. Moved? Moved. We've moved to a new place. We still read comics. We do. We still talk about comics. Because you can't do a comic book podcast unless you read and talk about comics, because that's kind of stupid. But now, we have a new episode still available every Thursday, but at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hey Kids Comics! So remember, Hey Kids Comics has moved to twotruefreaks.libson.com. Still, every Thursday. That'll do, won't it? Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman! Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! <laughs> By the power of Grayskull! For the honor of Grayskull! Hello. I'm the Doctor. Charlie's Geek Cast. Coming January 1st, 2013 to www.charliesgeekcast.com.
We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. All right. Ads and... Did you hear that? Yeah. Physical copy this time. Okay. First up is the inside cover, which we get the Daisy Air Rifle BB gun. There you go. Uh, the next ad is for Daredevil stunts and wild action with your turbo power Kenner car race cars. These are cars that you put on a ramp uh, with one of those air pumps at the top, and you push down the air pump, and it that's the sound effects that makes yes. Uh, not only are there four different kinds of cars, but there's four different kinds of motorcycle type things. The cars are Ferrari, a Mercedes C3, the Dino Charger, and the Futura X. And the bikes are oh, this is original because they all have turbo or turb o in them. So it's turb o charger, turb o duster, turb O Chopper and Turbo Flash. They're all sold separately. Powered by Kenner. Who would later on to go make uh, Batman toys and Star Wars toys, I believe. Uh, the next ad is... Wow. You get six full-color iron-on transfers for free. All you pay is shipping. 50 cents for one set, 75 cents for two sets. And the ones that they show, they have a Roadrunner, which is actually a car, not the cartoon character, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, uh, a panda bear, a mouth with a tongue hanging out, possibly the uh, you know Rolling Stone symbol, but not really, a smaller version of the same panda, uh, Yamaha bikes, two frogs, American flag, uh, the American flag in the shape of a hand with the peace symbol, and a Superman symbol. Not bad. And the bottom is something about uh, you get one pound of coins. Yeah, I don't see how this works. Uh, this guy is... this. this they're selling a pound of coins for $10, and these are coins that are possibly worth thousands. Yeah, I highly doubt that. And let's see. The next ad is... Oh, here you go. A two-page ad for country and western classics on, in stereo, on records, 8-track, cassette, and reel-to-reel tapes. Featuring such artists as Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, Eddie Arnold, Jim Reeves, Stonewall Jackson, and more. I would go through these, but I looked through a little bit earlier, and I really don't know most of these. I've heard of Harper Valley PTA. That's actually about it. Coal Miner's Daughter. That's Loretta Lynn. Anyway. And then the next page has an ad for Karate. Judo Jiu-Jitsu Savate. The total self-defense system. Uh, then, of course, you get one of those never-finished high school ads to get your high school diploma. Uh, the next one. Flash. The biggest news in comics. Action number one, sold for $1,800. Remember, this is 1973. Exclusive, now an exact copy from cover to cover, can be yours in the DC Original Supersize for only $1. 
and this is only the beginning of the most priceless comic series ever published. Coming next, the first Batman in Detective Comics, Wiz Comics starring the original Captain Marvel, Sensation Comics starring Wonder Woman, more other Batman comics, the first issue of Superman, and this is the golden wrap wraparound cover that protects your special mint copy. It's pure gold. Now, I highly doubt it's pure gold for if they're only giving it to you for a dollar. But, uh, yes, this was a full-color uh, supersize, and by supersize, that means treasury edition, kind of, basically, uh, of their DC's famous first editions. And they do several of these. So this is the first one, and this is when they announced it. So that's pretty cool. And then, of course, you get a house ad for uh, the line of DC superstars for the best comics, uh, featuring... Uh, the cover to the then-current issues of Brave and the Bold, Phantom Stranger, G.I. Combat, Korak, Son of Tarzan, Commandy, uh, The House of Mystery, Sergeant Rock, and Wonder Woman. And I'll get more into these when I do the Elsewhere's part of the issue. Let's see what else. Next page uh, is a... Um, the Imperial Vinyl Toys that you can purchase uh, fun and low priced and available at such stores as McRory, McClellan H.L. Green Brits, J.J. Newberry Hested and S. Klein now I'm going to tell you right now I've never heard of any of those stores uh, granted I wasn't born until what seven years after this so maybe that's why but yeah, but such the I mean they had such toys as a, a small pool table with a steel frame, um, the cheetah, the fastest thing on two wheels, which is like a weird looking bike. Okay, um, a a little motor bike kind of thing for little kids, and I mean really little kids. Uh, and then fake animals like an alligator, some turtles, a monkey, kangaroo, kimono, a chemo polar bear, and a fang snake. So, yeah. The next page is a full-page ad for three sensational 100-page blockbusters. First up is Detective Comics, on sale November 29th, with a whole bunch of backup features. Next up is Superman. Uh, I'm sorry, the Detective Comics was number 439. Again, we'll get into these in the Elsewheres, but I'll mention them now. Superman number 272, uh, which is a special all-magic issue. Uh, let's see. And it even features uh, a story with the with Mr. Mixias Tipilek from uh, the Golden Age before he became Mixias Pitilek. And they actually spell it right on the cover, so that's cool. Uh, and, of course everyone's favorite, Young Love, number 108. And uh, and these 100-page spectaculars are only 50 cents. You can't afford to miss that triple threat. Uh, there's the letters page, but no one here really uh, has is anyone you'd probably recognize, although there is someone with the last name of Kent. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the back, the last page is uh, a hodgepodge ad to get, like, patches, more iron-on transfers. And see, now this one, I don't know what the quality is, how different the quality is, but 
this one has the iron-on transfers. Now these are fluorescent, so maybe that's what's different. But most of these are very are exactly the same as the ones I mentioned on the earlier ad. But these cost 98 cents each, or you could get three for 250, as opposed to getting six for free. So, uh, plus you know a bunch of other stuff: the spy pen radio, the X-ray glasses, that kind of crap. Uh, the inside back cover has a bunch of uh, Evil Knievel st uh, toys featuring the stunt cycle, uh, the toy with uh, that has a removable helmet as well as a removable swagger stick and a front absor a shock absorbing front wheel. Plus, you know, there's the van, some other stunt riders, and that kind of stuff. And the back cover is another adventure, adventure, the uh, is another adventure with the Ready Rangers which is basically just something, a little comic book story to sell this little kit you can get from Aurora. And that's it for the ads. Now, let's move on to elsewhere in the DC multiverse. All right, let's look at what else came out with a February 1974 cover date. In fact, yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, in order of publication date because that's how it came up this time. First up, we have Brave and the Bold number 111, featuring a team-up with of Batman with the Joker. I said that right. Batman and the Joker. Uh, Wonder Woman number 210. Um, apparently, Wonder Woman's having to deal with a shrinking formula and is currently in someone's tweezers. Mr. Miracle number 18. And apparently they're going to go up against Darkseid, maybe? I don't know, but it features a whole bunch of the new gods in a wild wedding surprise. Phantom Stranger number 29. Now, I really can't tell you what happens here, but apparently uh, it involves, you know, demons and stuff. <laughs> Prez number 4. I don't know what happens. I just wanted to mention that because Prez is just a weird idea for a comic. Uh, plus, The Shadow, number three. Uh, Superman 272, as I mentioned before, uh, with the all-magical issue. And it looks like every story in this issue is a reprint. Mm -hmm. Yep, everyone in here is a reprint. So, that's kind of cheating there, DC. But I wonder if the detective one is, too. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, there's Superman's Pal number 163. Now, this is one of the last issues, because pretty soon it's going to be uh, switching over to Superman Family. Uh, but apparently in this issue, Jimmy is trapped inside of a gym. There's Shazam number 10. Um, which looks like some old lady is trying to uh, get Captain Marvel to marry her. And it also features a brand new Mary Marvel story. Uh, Action Comics 432. Oh, we just looked at that one. Ha ha. And Detective Comics number 439. Yes, back in these days, Detective was still ahead of Action because Detective hadn't gone by monthly yet. But, uh, let's see, I believe, 
Okay, the very first story of the detective issue is brand new. And all of the rest of the stories are reprints. Interesting. But there's also stories featuring Hawkman, Adam, Dr. Fate, Elongated Man, Kitty Eternity, and the original Manhunter. Or actually, the all-new Manhunter. And actually, that's also a new story. So there's two new stories and several reprints. And that's it for my part of the show. So next up, J. David Weeder will present you Superboy in the Bronze Age with The Legion of Superheroes. The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Welcome, once again, to another edition of Superboy in the Bronze Age, a segment covering just that, Superboy's adventures published in the Bronze Age. I am J. David Weeder, and while I've been content to pull random stories from the era so far, now I'm going to change that and do something different. With 2013 being the 75th anniversary of Superman and by proxy Superboy, I wanted to present a good slice of the era of the Bronze Age and cover the sequential stories of the Superboy teaming up with the Legion of Superheroes. Because nothing says Bronze Age more than the Teen of Steel teaming up with Disco Legionnaires. So we will be jumping into that with Superboy Volume 1, number 197, which bore a slight title change on the cover from Superboy to Superboy starring the Legion of Superheroes, and then we will be going forward from there. So with that, let's jump into issue 197, which is the September 1973 issue, and it boasts a Nick Carty cover of Legionnaire Timberwolf, battling his teammates in Superboy and, well, winning. As the text reads, Timberwolf, Dead Hero, Live Executioner, which is the title of the story written by Carrie Bates with art by Dave Cockrum. Now, following a frontispiece depicting Timberwolf trying to kill the president of Earth, which kind of really puts the climax right out there, doesn't it? Uh, but we drop into Smallville as Clark and Lana are enjoying a lazy day by an apple tree. And then Lana asks Clark what he would do if she asked him to kiss her. And the awkward sexual tension, which has our hero literally sweating, is interrupted by Superboy's Legionnaire signaler. Thinking fast, Clark uses his heat vision to cause a pair of highly suggestive apples to fall from the tree and knock Lana out with a concussive blow to the head. That's just a lot of sexual tension and innuendo for one page, folks. Anywho, Superboy takes off for the 30th century and is surprised to find his teammate Timberwolf is alive but not half as surprised as the reader. You see, there was no editor's note, and I delved into all of Timberwolf's appearances to try to find out where and when he was killed, only to come up empty. The reason? There wasn't a prior issue showing his death. It just happened off-panel somewhere, and this is the first time it is even mentioned or acknowledged. That's got to be some kind of record, a resurrection before the death story is told. But apparently, Superboy and Timberwolf were pursuing an astral vulture when a planetoid suddenly exploded, leaving Timberwolf assumed dead. As in, molecular level dead. And now, six months later, he's back with no memory at all of how he survived. 
However, he does have a snazzy new costume and is a bit more feral than his last appearance. You see, when Timberwolf made his debut in 1964 with Adventure Comics 327, he didn't resemble his namesake. Instead, Bryn Lindo graduated Legion Academy as Lone Wolf, having gained enhanced speed and agility from his father's experiments on a rare element. He looked like any other human in all of his appearances prior to this issue, but Dave Cockrum, who would later be known for drawing another feral comic book hero in the pages of X-Men, was redesigning the characters and giving them new looks, new costumes, and hence, Timberwolf has taken on a newer look here. And despite being gone for six months and appearing alive, yet noticeably, noticeably changed, uh, because now he has fangs and claws, nobody comments on his new look. In fact, Monel is the only one that seems to be suspicious, and he keeps surveillance on Timberwolf. However, it is the next day that we learn that, as expected, Timberwolf is not all that he appears. When the president of Earth comes to visit the resurrected Legionnaire, Timberwolf snaps and tries to kill him. Monel and Superboy give chase in an excellently rendered sequence, which comes to a head with Timberwolf spinning the president around, only to be caught when Superboy and Monel use the Teen of Steel stretchy elastic cape to catch the prez when he releases him. Wait, what? Why is Superboy's cape suddenly more elastic than the elongated man? Well, okay, now that I think of it, that's valid. It's a bit odd, but valid. Since Superboy's costume is made from the Kryptonian blankets that accompanied him in the rocket, and the suit is presumably the same one that he wore from grade school age, all the way to his career as Superman, then it gets a pass, since it would have to stretch to accommodate that. But it's still a bit off-putting to see, and a bit goofy. But the chapter itself wraps up with Monel capturing Timberwolf in his own cape, and we move to part two, the sinister secret of Timberwolf. Now, after the encounter with the president, Timberwolf is placed in a machine to remove any brainwashing, and when he wakes up, he remembers being sent to another dimension after the explosion with the astral vulture, where a large figure, who was the one who blew up the planetoid to begin with, greeted him. The figure is still hazy, but Timberwolf is placed back on active duty as Superboy heads back to the 20th century. R really? Timberwolf tries to kill the president. He spends a few hours in a machine, and then he's put back to full Legionnaire status? That can't end well, and it's more of a stretch than Superboy's elastic cape. Because sure enough, Timberwolf once again sleepwalks through Legion headquarters, followed by founding member Saturn Girl in her garish, barely-there outfit. Timberwolf easily accesses the Legion Headquarters self-destruction switch and activates it. Are you kidding me? Let me lay this out as it appears on the page. The self-destruct switch is beneath a tile on the floor with no security at all. No security, no alarm, no nothing. Even the Enterprise had protocols to follow to activate that, because uh, that's destroying a ship holding potentially hundreds of crew members, much like Legion Headquarters. And here, it's just knowing where the switch is, which is an unguarded control room, and then flipping it like you or I turn on a light. The 30th century is way too trusting. So, Saturn Girl's about to stop Timberwolf when another person, the figure in Timberwolf's memory, walks up behind her and blasts her with a beam. Now, some of the blast deflects off of or through her and hits Timberwolf. And the red alien with a mohawk that would make Mr. T blush and a robotic arm that would bring tears to the eyes of Cable from the X-Force, reveals himself to be Tear. You know, Tear. He had his own figure in the Superpowers collection. 
That's right, the one that non-diehard Legion fans pointed to as it warned the peg and said, Who? Yes, Tyr, who is the scourge of his galaxy and wants to make his name and ours by destroying the Legion. And he has brainwashed Timberwolf into being his accomplice. But Timberwolf has his mind back thanks to that blast deflected off of Saturn Girl, and he tackles Tyr and stops the self-destruct with seconds to spare. So the day is saved, except for one little bit. A portion of Tyr's arm shoots off into space and goes into orbit around the Earth like a satellite to wait for its master so, and I quote, they can rule the planet Earth together. And Timberwolf says volumes when he says that Tyr is their prisoner, but for how long? Uh, I have to say that this story, despite its odd bits, really took me in. Uh, Timberwolf and the Legion are gaining new looks, and looks that will define them in a lot of ways. In fact, with the exception of Saturn Girl's ugly costume, it is these looks that Mattel immortalized in their Legion action figure box set. Uh, this is the beginning of a special time for the Boy of Steel, the Teen of Steel, I should say, in the Legion, and what a great way to kick off the new direction of the title. Cockrum's art is superb and fits perfectly into my memories of these characters from Ultra Boy's red and green outfit down to Sun Boy's unnecessary yet, honestly, welcome shoulder pads. The story feels right and actually manages to balance both Superboy and the Legion as both a whole and separate entities, perfectly conveying the nearly paradoxical relationship these two franchises would have, being extensions of each other that can survive fully without both parts present. And that wraps up this installment of Superboy and the Bronze Age. Next time, we continue our trip with Superboy to the 30th century with an appearance of the Fatal Five. And until then, I'm J. David Weider saying, well, wait for it, long live the Legion. And that will bring us to the end of yet another episode of Superman of the Bronze Age. Uh, we hope everyone's having a wonderful new year. Uh, please, uh, I ask you, you don't have to, but it would be nice. Uh, yesterday, as I'm releasing this, yesterday, New Year's Day, saw the release of my new show, Charlie's Geekcast. Uh, so if y'all would like to check that out, that's at www.charliesgeekcast.com. And as far as this show, make sure to come back in just two weeks when Superman takes on the mysterious Captain Thunder. Who's Captain Thunder? Well, spoiler warning, he's... You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weider. The home of the show is at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com, where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman in the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. 
have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Yeah.